today's episode, we open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 23, verses 10 through 33. God continues to lay down the law through his servant Moses. Now the subject is that of sacred times and festivals. Practices, too, followed by a reassurance that God will guide them into the land of Canaan. Good morning. Today is Monday, December 12th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Before we begin, I'd like to thank our underwriter, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. This morning, I'm delighted to welcome our longest distance guest so far, the Reverend Dr. Thomas Park. He's an LCMS theological educator in Taiwan. Dr. Park, good morning and welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me to your show and to talk about God's word today. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Now, we have a little bit of a time difference. You are over there in Taiwan. Um, I'm, I guess, in the, pr- in the previous day from you over in, here in Minnesota. Um, for our listeners' benefit and for mine too, share with us a little bit about what God is doing through your ministry, what it means to be a theological educator, uh, and, and what, it, what it looks like to be there in Taiwan ministering with God's Word. Uh, it is wonderful to be here in Taiwan. Um, very few people here uh, claim to be Christian. Uh, so it is, the, the work is cut off for us to share the gospel. Uh, it's, it's the target-rich environment, we can say. Um, in order to communicate better and more effectively, I have been learning Mandarin full-time uh, since my arrival here in September. And uh, meanwhile, I've been teaching a catechism class uh, to a um, group of Vietnamese individuals that are living here and also uh, conducting the chapel at the building here, uh, Luther Building, which is the headquarter of our LCMS Asia mission. So I've been doing that, and um, it's wonderful to interact with other missionaries. Uh, we are slowly gaining more missionaries coming to this building. So my task is to help start up a seminary in Jai, Taiwan. Uh, we really need a, a seminary that can teach people uh, God's word uh, being the inerrant uh, word of God. So uh, that's the reason why we are studying this uh, seminary and the, the request came from our partner church, uh, China Evangelical Lutheran Church, uh, asked us to come and to help them build this seminary. Wow, that seems like a very difficult work, but work I'm sure you are well suited to. Um, you know, I've met you a couple times in real person. I think I think we used to be in the same district together, Minnesota North, at least for a short time. Isn't that right? Yes, I was in Minnesota North and Minnesota South, and um, and then after that, I uh, went to Concordia University, Irvine, uh, as an associate assistant professor to teach theology there. 
Wow. Well, that's great. Well, we are in good hands today, and I'm excited to have you with us. Before we start digging into the text, I would like to invite you to start our time together off in prayer. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your statutes and your laws. They are for our own good, and and because of our sinful nature, we will rebel against your laws, which are designed to protect us. Lord, help us to learn more about your love toward your creation, not just only for human beings, but for animals. You have given us Sabbath rest, and also you have given all the blessings that we need to survive. You even care for the treatment of animals, and we can see from the text that we are going to discuss this morning. Lord, please be with our listeners, to hear God's word, and may this word edify their lives and strengthen their faith life. We ask all these in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, you said it. The word of the day is law. These are more laws and regulations. God has been laying them down, or Moses has been relating them to us anyway, ever since chapter 20 when the Ten Commandments were given. Then we had laws about altars and laws about slaves and laws about restitution, laws about social justice. And now we come today to laws about the Sabbath and festivals. And then a little later on in the program, we'll move on to this idea that, you know, he's going to send before them an angel to guard them as they head to Canaan. But first, these laws about Sabbath and festivals, before I read the text and get into it, is there anything that you want to lay out? Uh, to establish before we start talking about it. Uh, you can see from here that it's the Exodus chapter 23 is the, in a way, continuation of what God has set up uh, from the creation of the world. And God himself demonstrated to us the Sabbath was, is very important for us. I mean, as God, God doesn't need to rest but for our benefit, he demonstrated to take a day off, um, take the Sabbath rest for us. And, and you can see that this also is connected to what Christ did for us, uh, the Holy Saturday. Uh, what did Jesus do? He rested. So you can see the ongoing theme of salvation and rest continuing from creation until until now and we can we can definitely see that connection here in the section there that we are going to discuss this morning that's such an important point to remember pastor you know god lays down these rules and regulations these laws not you know just because he wants to or he wants to control us but because he knows what we need he does these things he gives us these things as gifts, as for our benefit. I'll tell you what, let us read then um, verses, let's see here, 23 verses 10 through 19. That'll be half of our section today. Okay. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard, and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do work, but on the seventh you shall rest, 
that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest, of the first fruits of your labor, of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord Yahweh. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. The, be- the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And that's where we'll stop. <laughs> there are several laws, all one right after the other. It's, it's in the same format as we've been hearing. Let's just start with the very first one. Six years you shall sow your land, gather in its yield, but the seventh yield you shall let it rest and lie fallow. Uh, Dr. Park, that's that's an interesting thing. You know, I have a lot of farmers mm-hmm. where I am here in Minnesota. Uh, they obviously are doing lots of agriculture to support their their herds and also to sell, and it's for our benefit. I yes. I don't I know they have different practices that help protect the land, but they mm-hmm. don't do exactly what the Lord's saying here. I don't know how it is in Taiwan if it's very agricultural or what. But what's going on here with the uh, with the with the Hebrews? Why is God laying out the rules this way? God is laying out this verse to help the land rest uh, because if you are continuously uh, planting and gathering your crops, the nutrients uh, from the soil uh, will not will not last forever and and it's not the soil will not be the quality soil for the plants to grow. So in order for the field to rest, um, God mentioned that six years you will gather things, but seventh year, let it rest. So in similar practice is going on here in Taiwan. Uh, as I have mentioned, not many people are Christians here, but they do practice such a thing uh, while doing rice uh, harvest. So they would they would um, plant rice and harvest them, and then they would let it rest for a year, and then they will continue their their um, farming practice on that land as well. So uh, you can see the land is uh, given the rest, and also the animals as well. It's uh, interesting, and um, you can see the. The jubilee, the jubilee practice uh, continuing here as well. What I also think is striking from this is the words that the poor of your people may eat. In terms of you know leaving the produce for for the poor to eat, mm-hmm. and certainly the family could too. But even the beast of the field to eat, God is taking care of even those who we might say are uh, underprivileged, less fortunate, whatever word we use today, uh, they were very direct here in the Old Testament. The poor folks, you know, it gives them something that they can eat and, and in some ways rely on. If you have a whole field that's just left fallow and you've not harvested it, all that produce is uh, is there for the taking. Yes. And uh, this reminds me of 
uh, Ruth and how God provided for Ruth when there was no uh, food in the land. Um, Ruth was able to, Ruth and Naomi were, they were able to survive because of this very practice. The, the grains and things like that were left behind and they were, they were provided for, uh, provide to eat. And uh, you can see that um, because of that, keeping of the law by Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, uh, you could see that the, the, the lineage of Jesus was not cut off. And then you can see that the law is intended for salvation, saving, saving people, their bodies and souls and, and everything about his creation. So uh, it's very, uh, uh, a very um, enlightening uh, verses section here. Yeah, God is a God of order. I've said it a hundred times, and we just see how he has so much in mind when he sets out these rules and regulations. You know, we, we are a people because of our, our fallen human natures that don't like law. We don't, we don't want to be controlled. Mm-hmm. And yet God, I suppose, controls us. He, he gives us these guidelines, but they, they really do mean something. They mean something for us, and we see them being used. I, I think that's a great illustration. I'm so glad you brought it out. Now, the second part reminds me, of course, a lot of the Sabbath rest, the third commandment. This mm-hmm. is going to be uh, verses 12. Well, 12 and 13 really are together. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. And then 13, pay attention, but make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. So two verses about about. It's the sanctity of worship and rest. You've already mentioned a little bit about Sabbath and the Sabbath rest, but notice here, or I notice here, that we see, you know, ox and donkey. We see your servant woman, the alien. You know, this Sabbath rest was even for those who didn't believe in Yahweh. It, it was it was for their benefit too. It just shows the the extent of the mercy of God and God's providence to all everything in His creation. So, as you said, even the unbelievers um, are are recipients of God's grace and and also the animals. So, uh, and then and then it's a wonderful demonstration to the uh, aliens who did not believe in Yahweh. Um, they could see visibly what was going on 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 the Sabbath day: the people worshiping and praising God. So you can see this as the evangelism or uh, missionary work uh, that, that people are drawn into the practice of Israel and, and, and they were able to encounter their God by, by taking the Sabbath rest. Throughout Exodus, we've seen where, you know, in the, in the Ten Commandments, you know, God makes sure that we know that there's only one God, right? That's the main teaching, this monotheism. There's only one God. We go back to the 10 plagues, and God is getting glory over the gods of Egypt. And he's showing that he well, he's showing that he's the only God, but from the Egyptians' point of view, he's demonstrating his power over their their weak and and 
and uh, impotent gods. They can't do anything. He's the only God who can actually do something. Well, because he's the only God. Yes. So here in verse 13, when he says you shouldn't even have the names of other gods on your lips. Now I'm right in saying that, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't give a, give out the idea to those listening that, that there are other gods. I mean, there are other gods in the sense that people put their faith, hope, and trust in other things besides God. But but because of the polytheistic context in which they've come out of, that's why it's so important that God, you know, regulates, you know, not even a mention of the names of other gods. It was a real danger that they would combine these practices from the other different uh, cultures that they encountered. Isn't that right? Yes, syncretism was very strong. And God wanted, and God wanted His people not to be polluted by their neighbors. Uh, when when people gathered together in the neighborhood, uh, the the least, so the worst uh, part of the thing becomes the main course. So what I mean is this: that um, even if even if people of Israel, uh, God's people, wanted to live according to the God's law. They are going to be influenced by the people around them. And, and that's the reason why in the Old Testament, a lot of times it seems harsh that God would tell his people to kill everyone who believed in other gods. Not because he is, he is so angry or violent God, but he was so careful or he wanted to save his people's soul. And, and he knew the danger of people cold coaxing, coaxing uh, God's people to worship other gods rather than trusting in Yahweh. So you can, you can see that here as well, not to speaking the name of their gods. I would say that it's no coincidence either that this is in the greater context of well, what we're getting ready to hear of the Feast of Harvest. Uh, things like laying, letting fields lie fallow. It's all this agricultural you know, r- lifestyle that they're living. There would have been agricultural gods and, and goddesses and fertility people, fertility gods that people yeah. would uh, uh, appeal to. So you know, certainly even in that context, God's wanting to make sure – the one true God's wanting to make sure that you know just who is the one who provides for you, even out of the land. And mm-hmm. in, in light of what happened at Sinai, while Moses is delayed in the mountain, you know, these are people who definitely need this remembrance. Yes. And that God, God's the one that provides the blessings, God alone and not other gods. And, and it's really interesting that um, God wants to provide for his people. But on the other hand, other gods, they only want people to serve them. And you can, you can see the, the distinction between our God and gods of other people. Um, it, very different, right? Because our God wants to provide blessing to us. But other gods, they want people to worship them and provide for them. And it is uncertain, right? Um, a lot of times people are uncertain. Mm of what kind of blessings they are going to receive from other gods. But our God is so strong and he keeps his promises. And then in the end of the worship, we, we um, talk about the divine worship as God is deans, uh, God's service to us. And, and you, can, you can even see that in the Old Testament that God is providing for us. 
God is giving us the rest and God is giving us the blessing. So uh, you can see the distinction being made uh, from here, uh, distinction between our God, the Yahweh, and God of other people. I'm thinking about that one, the first thing you said too, about how other gods, so-called gods, require their people to serve them. And of course, our God serves us through his mercy. And I had to laugh in, in, in myself because I'm thinking, well, of course the people have to serve their other gods because their gods can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And that's how it ends up that those religions are such that you have to keep serving the God. You have to keep doing all the worship. Everything depends on you. Everything does not depend on us when our God yes. is real and active and powerful. It is a, a common sight here in Taiwan. At the end of each month, the shopkeepers would burn the ghost money. Uh, they knew that because in order to appease their ancestors and the shop gods, and they would do that every at the end of every month. And then sometimes you see parades going on with people bringing out their gods, statues of gods, and taking a stroll uh, to make sure that their gods get enough exercise. So oh, wow. yeah, you can you can see and the things that went on in the Old Testament happening here in in Taiwan, and and people are very burdened by by this, and they don't know uh, they don't have the certainty of peace of mind where they are going to end up. So they have to keep sacrificing to the animals, uh, to the to the ancestors and 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 gods. So, yeah, uh, I mean, whatever happens here in yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say here in the states, <laughs> as you know, we're so far removed from this. It, this is a strange thing. I mean, I'm certain there are places within our within our country where mm-hmm. you know people still do these practices, of course, but it not being predominant like it would be, say, in Taiwan. Uh, so what is the, the primary religion in Taiwan? Uh, primary religion, uh, ancestor worship, uh, Taoism, and the Buddhism. All these uh, synchronistic religions are, are here. Uh, everything is mixed together uh, because they are work-righteous religions. So you can mm. see Taoist borrowing practices from Buddhism, and, and you can see Taoists borrowing something from other religions too. So everything is all mixed up. Uh, but but the, the important thing to remember is that they have to serve their gods. If they don't, mm-hmm. if they don't then uh, ang- the gods will be angry to punish you, and uh, your business will not thrive. So... Uh, Buddhism, Taoism, Confucius, uh, Confucius philosophies can be seen here. Um, so it's a, it's a, as I said before, it's a target-rich environment to share the gospel with other people that God did it, did it, did it, everything, and then we are just the recipients of his grace. With all that intermingling of philosophies and religious practices, that helps us understand verse 13 where it says, you know, pay attention, make no mention of the names of other gods. How quickly people could have just adopted different practices sort of buffet style 
you know, I see that I've seen that I should say when I went to Haiti and I only went a couple of times, mind you, and I have still have some friends there, but a lot of the uh, voodoo practices would just adopt Catholicism, you know, Catholics come over and they just take some of those. They start, they put Jesus on the shelf next to their ancestor gods and whoever else they pray to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pentecostalism is, is very strong down in Haiti because some of its eclectic worship practices mimic that of the voodoo worship practices. And so, you know, this is not something that's just thousands of years ago. Yes. You know, from what you're telling me, it's mm -hmm. really enlightening me to how important this is even today, that we keep our worship pure and, mm -hmm. and connected to the one true God and the gospel. Be careful about adopting practices, say, from Buddhism, which people will say, well, that's just a philosophy, but sure. yeah, it creeps in and it takes away from God's message. That's right. Yeah, that's very important to know. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll keep on going. So now we're going to uh, some festivals, right? Mm -hmm. So verse 14, three times in the year, you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, uh, the feast of harvest, and the feast of of in gathering take us through those right feast of unleavened bread that's that one's pretty familiar already since we haven't been that far removed from the passover yes so unleavened bread that celebration was very important because during the passover they didn't have time for the bread to rise so god told them not to put yeast on the bread right uh, and um it's a constant reminder to the people of Israel that, that God will provide for them and also to remind them of God had provided for them and God will never abandon them nor forsake them. So that, that harvest, that this um, celebration or feast was given for people to remember the past blessings or promises of God and also to remember that God is going to be with them now and also forever. And God is going to keep the promise of the Messiah. And, and that was a key reminder for the people of Israel that God is going to do what he did in the past and God will keep his promise in the future. So, he, so the feasts were given for the reminder to worship the promise, promise-keeping God. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you know, tracks back to you know, the Exodus out of Egypt. Now, the Feast of Harvest, also known, I guess, as the Feast of Weeks, that's where we get the idea for Pentecost, is it not? Yes. Pentecost and giving thanks to God for the harvest and everything that he provides for us. So offering the first fruit of, of our nature labor uh, can be seen here um yeah to 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 remind us who is the one that is providing everything for us and that feast of harvest or sorry the feast of ingathering or gathering at the end you know i like that juxtaposition because we have the feast of unleavened bread which is uh, obviously commemorating coming out of egypt the feast of harvest which is those first fruits and then the feast 
of ingathering, which I guess is one way to say is those last fruits, right? That's the Feast of Booths uh, or Tabernacles. It's the last fruits. You know, we God is the one who gives us all that we need. And as you've so aptly said, this reminds us, you know, or reminds them just who they need to rely on. Not the false gods of Egypt, not the gods of their neighbors, but the one true God. Now, verse 18 then says, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. And then the best of the first fruits you shall bring into the house of the Lord, your God. So the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened, you know, he has some pretty specific rules here. Do you have any insight into why he establishes it that way? So the blood is the blood is the life. It symbolizes life and God wanted the blood to be shed for him and, and pro-life to him. But leaven is the, is the element that he does not want uh, us to associate during this time. So, so mixing the, so, so mixing something holy and something forbidden is not pleasing to God or, or the blood and the fat should be given to God and not to be given to other, other, other gods or, or, or people are forbidden to sacrifice to other gods. And then all, also to remain until the morning, uh, that means that, that kind of remind me of manna. Manna when he was left until the next day, or or manna was left uh, during the Sabbath day, then he was spoiled, right? So God is going to not only give us the things that we need, but He wants us to uh, give the sacrifices or offerings that are that are fresh, rather than something left over. Right, doesn't want the leftovers. Yeah, I forgot about the manna. I don't know why, because we just covered it very shortly, uh, not too long ago. But yeah, the manna not living over to the next day. You know, it's about following his instructions, but it, it's also about, you know, helping us cultivate our hearts to be, you know, in response to his gifts. So the last one before we go to our break is the last part of what we've already read. And it seems to come out of nowhere because so far, all of this kind of connects. You've made it connect for me in a way that I hadn't considered before. And that is that this is all about avoiding the worship practices of other gods and mixing those types of things. But we have here the very last verse, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And I think most people, if they know about this verse, think of uh, modern day Jewish practices of, say, not eating cheeseburgers because you have cheese on your yes. burger. Yes. But certainly there's more to not mm -hmm. boiling a young goat in its mother's milk than that. The biblical scholars will say that this, this particular verse, uh, the, this practice, right? You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk was the was a religious practice of Ishmaelites. So uh, you can see that God wanted us not to engage in syncretism. And also, uh, think about what milk is, right? Milk is there to nourish the, the babies, young goats in this case. Be, it is really cruel 
for for us or the people of Israel to boil the young goat in in his mother's milk. So you can you can see God condemning the practice of other other people. And the second of all, he is telling us the, the order of creation. The, the milk is given to animals to feed their young, not to you be used to to in a way celebrate death. So you can you can see uh, these two things going on and and as you have mentioned, okay. the Jewish people now even now do not eat cheeseburger, right? Um, and the, or while they are eating their meat, they are not going to drink milk. And they actually separate the tables. When you go to Israel, uh, you, are, you are going to see a table where people only eat cheese or drink milk. And the dealer section, you see people eating beef or burgers. Uh, so you can, you can see God telling us not to practice not to adopt the practices of other gods, and then also to remember the order of creation. The milk is given for the young, for, uh, for, for the young to survive, not to be used to uh, kill animals and, 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 and also to uh, enjoy the reversal of creation in our lives. Wow, what a fascinating way to look at it. And I'm sure lots of people at home are going, well, okay, I've never really thought of that before. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to talk more when we come back for our break. But right now, we're going to take just a few moments and listen to these messages. Folks at home, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Dr. Park and I will keep on going with Exodus chapter 23. We'll see you on the other side. This is the voice of a mother in the faraway country of Georgia, reading to her six-month-old son about Jesus from a Bible storybook written in the Georgian language. The child's Bible was given to her by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, and the Holy Spirit is working powerfully through your support of LHF to make events like these happen every day. Help another family learn of the Savior. Learn how at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. And with me today is the Reverend Dr. Thomas Park, LCMS Theological Educator in Taiwan. Before we dive back into the text, I want to remind you that if you have any questions or comments about today's show, feel free to direct them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com. I'm happy to answer your questions on or off the air, and I reply to every email I receive. Now, Pastor Park, uh, before the break, we were talking about just the interconnectedness of what looked like a bunch of different random almost laws and rules about uh, festivals and feasts and, and fields and gods. But, they, but you really helped us tie all that together. Is there anything else you want to cover before we move on to the second half of our reading? Uh, you can see as you can, you have explained 
everything in the Old Testament uh, is connected uh, to the New Testament. And you can see here, the section that we are going to talk about uh, is, is the, the purpose of why all these laws and regulations were given to us. The reason why we were given these regulations and, and laws, because God wants us to receive rest and ultimately salvation, uh, enjoying the Sabbath rest in the presence of our, our loving God. So God not only provided, provided and protected people in the past, but he is now with us and he promises to be with us in our future and forever. So God, his salvation history is all connected. And as we know, as the people of the New Testament, we know that the fulfillment is in, in Christ. And you can see the, the you know, in a way, uh, Christ, pre-incarnate Christ, even in the Old Testament as the form of the angel uh, protecting his people from the dangers and providing them, uh, being a guide to the promised land. So you can see, we are going to talk more about that here, but the that's one thing that the listeners should to, should remember that even though we don't see Jesus face to face or his his form, we can see his work being done even in the Old Testament. Amazing. Let's go on. We're going to read verses twenty through the end of the chapter, which is verse thirty three. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve Yahweh your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you, and I will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites, the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land, and I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. 
All right, Pastor, what I notice already is that we're still dealing with God not wanting them to chase after other gods. But starting at the top, he's going to send an angel, but that angel carries his name and must be obeyed. Uh, Interesting way to describe it. What's going on? So the angel can be translated as as the messenger, right? Um, And also we can see, you know, greater picture here, uh, Christ in the Old Testament. So Christ and the angels or messengers of God, what do they do? Uh, Jesus is known as the word of God. And the angel, an angel mentioned here, is the messenger that would bring God's good news. So God is providing for us his and here is singular, but you can see this as a collective noun that God is going to provide for us the messengers. They are going to bring us the un, you know a unified message of hope and salvation. So God is going to provide for His people this this messenger, the Word, and and then here you can see that. For he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. So you can see who is the only one who can pardon people? It's God, right? God. And then for my name is in him. So you can see here that this angel can do something special. And I, re- I, I do believe that this is talking about Jesus but as we can see from the New Testament, it's really clear that, that Jesus himself gave the authority to Christians to forgive. And, and so you can see that, uh, that, that God gave, God the Father gave the authority to God the Son, and that God the Son gave the authority to his messengers. And, and you can see that being played out here. And God does not just say, I, I provided for you in the, in the land of Egypt. I provide for you. You came out of Egypt, so you take care of yourself. God is not the God of deists. Deists will say, oh, God is far away, but God is very intimate. And he is there to, to provide the word that is necessary. And also he will be the one to protect his people from dangers all around it. It is amazing because God has promised them from the beginning that he'll be with them. You know, we have, this isn't the first time we've seen, you know, the angel of the Lord. Now in verse 20, it says an angel, which is where some of the confusion lies. But you've helped us understand that, yeah, this angel is special though. In the same way in Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in the flame of fire in the bush. That was, you know, amazing. But then God says in in chapter 33, we haven't gotten there yet, but he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. In Deuteronomy, it talks about taking them, bringing them out by his own presence and leading them. So this angel of Yahweh or the angel of the Lord or the angel of Yahweh, uh, clearly from its characteristics, would be uh, at the very least God working very closely with one of his spiritual creatures. But I think you and I are in agreement that this is a, a, a pretty clear 
pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, the second person of the Godhead, which just really connects you know, us and our ancestors and our Israelite ancestors here in some amazing ways. So he says, if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Now, that part is interesting to me because we don't, in today's parlance and the way we think about God today, we've, we've domesticated the Almighty in such a way that it's hard for us to think about him being an enemy. Now, we Lutherans do a pretty good job of recognizing that we're all born as enemies of God. But, you know, God's the God of love and the Prince of Peace. And so to think of him being an enemy or even for us having enemies seems inconsistent with the way God wants us to live. But things were, you know, things a little different going on. God does have enemies, the sin, death, Satan. But right here, these enemies are those who stand in the way between God's promise of giving the promised land to his people. Um, but that's hard for us to understand today, isn't it? Yes. Uh, we don't really see people trying to kill us or harm us. I mean, that's not, I mean, in certain places, people do that. But in, in people living in the U.S. or here in Taiwan, we don't see people trying to kill us or harm us. But we can see that God, the spiritual realm, right? Uh, there are only two realms available, like one that is worshiping God and the other realm is the kingdom is the people worshiping their gods. So if we are not, if we are not for God, then we are against God. And you can see that uh, Jesus himself talking about that in the New Testament. And you can certainly see that in the Old Testament. And, and, God takes, God takes what our spiritual enemies do to us very personal, very personal. And he is going to go and protect us. And he is going to go against those that would harm us. And that's exactly why Jesus had to experience death because death was our last enemy. And, and you can see that God God takes the attack against his people personally. And, uh, and, and, and he took care of our problems personally without, without really using other means but sending his only son to take care of our, in a way, deeply personal issues and problems. One of the things that I think we forget is that Christ has been victorious. He has taken to task our enemies, God's enemies, and is victorious over them. And you say, well, how can we forget that? That's what we preach every week, and that's what we talk about every day on this show. And that's true. But how often our sinful natures forget all the things that God has done for us. That's the story of Israel in Exodus, them continuously forgetting the mighty works of God and turning to other gods. In verse 24, he says, you shall not bow down to their gods, that is, the peoples that they conquer. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do. But interesting, he says, you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Now, 
in this context, you know, he says, not only do you not bow down to their gods, but destroy their places of worship. Mm-hmm. Now that in our in our day and age, a day and age of antiquities and cultural sites and protections would be a horrible thing, sure. at least according to most people. You know, we, we want to learn from these sites, mm-hmm. but God's not playing around. He says, no. go and destroy their temples. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we reconcile that today? I mean, should we? Should we be tearing down the temples of those who oppose Christ? You, you would have a lot of work uh, <laughs> ahead of you, wouldn't you? No, right behind my building, there is a Buddhist temple. But if I were to take this verse literally, then I have to get some hammers and chainsaw <laughs> to uh, break down the Buddhist temple. But, um, I mean, although the... The spiritual danger is serious here. Uh, However, that is not the way to in in the New Testament in the in the in the way to evangelize God's God's on salvation. I mean, in the Old Testament, they perhaps there was the violent way of doing things was necessary in order for the lineage of Jesus be kept. So that he could give, he he could come later on. But now, as the people here, we living in the New Testament, it is really it is really different in our in our mission approach that we are going to, as Peter says, that we are going to gently and respectfully sharing the hope that we have. So. Although there are many that would believe in Buddhist uh, ideas or or they're trusting in their ancestors, the best uh, way of the best way of sharing the gospel is to to tell them, tell people about the whole that we have in Christ. Yeah, amen to that. Besides, you would close lots of doors if you were to, you know, be hostile to these people because, well, first of all, we're in a completely different context. This is not us taking the promised land, which is what's going on here in Exodus. You know, we're now going out into all the world and spreading the message, as you've put. But here in the text, God makes it clear that as they go and as they come against these people, if they obey him, he will protect them. He will throw them into confusion. He will send the hornets and he will drive them out from before you, as he says in 28, or 29 rather. God is the one who takes credit, and rightly so, for the victories. Interestingly, though, God has a little bit of tactic here. He says, I'm not going to drive them all out at once, but little by little, mm-hmm. he doesn't want the, the land to become desolate and a bunch of wild beasts to take over. So he wants the enemies of his people to remain long enough to take care of it so that they can receive the land in this good condition, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then he gives us the, the, uh, the borders of the land, which uh, I guess to this day continues to be a little bit of a hot topic. Yes. Yes. So the, Zionist, um, uh, I did. I did hear uh, this, and uh, um, and a certain Zionists would believe that the Israeli flag with the two lines, two lines, um, both uh, one above the Star of David and one below the Star of David, would would kind of talk about the two rivers. They would uh, 
they, they will uh, divide other lands. And, and, and some Zionists or some even Christians will believe that the, the land between these two lines are occupied by the nation of Israel. Then the Messiah will come, or uh, people will say that the Messiah is the, the, the nation of Israel. So they took it, people took this literally even now. So that's the reason why some would provide weapons to Israel to drive out uh, others, other people from the land to occupy the, uh, occupy the, the land that is promised, you know, and promised to, to them by Yahweh. So, um, certainly you can see the, the physical aspect in the Old Testament that God is going to provide for his people. But how, how will we read this section for us as Christians? Is certainly we are talking about Israel or people of God, the, the believers in, in Christ. So that's how we make the distinction uh, between uh, the people of Israel and also the people of God trusting him uh, and be in the family of God. So, uh, you, yeah, you, as you said, this is actually the hot topic that we are experiencing now. Uh, geopolitical issue is going on because of how one is going to interpret this section of the Bible. Well, we know, of course, as you've illustrated, that you know Christ has fulfilled the law. He is the one we look to. You know, those who look to the Messiah coming or returning, however you want to look at it, uh, connected to the nation state of Israel, are looking in the wrong direction. And in, in love and gentleness, especially if they're Christians, we want to guide them towards the truth that our victory is in Christ. The promised land for us now, we, the new Israel, is uh, is heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. And so we look forward to that and we look forward to God keeping his promises because some of these promises um, are hard for us to believe, right? He says there'll be no sickness. There'll be no uh, um, um, barren women. There will be no, there's all these, no miscarriages. There's just all this uh, wonderful blessing, your water and your bread. These promises certainly came to fruition in many ways in the time of the Israelites as they're moving through the desert and as they take into parts of the promised land. But those come to their fullest completion in the new heavens and the new earth, which we're all looking forward to, especially now during the season of Advent. Brother, we only have a few minutes left in the program, but I want to give those minutes to you. Uh, if you want to sum up and any other like lasting message that you might want to give the people at home before we go. I just want to uh, remind uh, the, re re the listeners that God is for, for life and God is for our salvation and God cares for our souls. And that is the reason why he gave people the Decalogue, Ten Commandments. I, I really don't like to sometimes use that word commandments because it seems like we have to do so something to achieve God's salvation. But rather, I think Decalogue or Ten Words should be the right, right way to describe the Ten Commandments uh, because God talks about how he provided for the people of uh, people of Israel 
out of Egypt. And that is the reason why God wanted his people to keep his statutes, his laws perfectly. God does not just simply say, you need to obey me and I will bless you. No, God blesses us first and he gives us the means. And then even in fulfilling God's law, God is with us. God is the one that is providing for us the ability to do that. The Holy Spirit living in us is helping us to keep God's commandments, not to, not to earn salvation. That's done, but, but give us the Holy Spirit to preserve our faith and also to share the gospel with other people so that God can work on the hearts of others. So that they too can trust Jesus as their Savior. So I, I want to remind our, our readers and, and listeners that, that God is for our, our salvation. And uh, the things that are, things that are in the, the Old Testament that might seem harsh, uh, we cannot just leave them there, but we need to see the intention of God. Why did He told us such and such things because after all, it is all about our, our salvation to, to glorify God in heaven and you have ascended new earth. And that, that, that is the important aspect for us to remember, uh, even during the Advent season, because Jesus is, co- is coming back again and we are going to be ready on the day. Because God is the one that is making us ready for. Well, thank you very much, brother. I appreciate it. I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Dr. Thomas Park, LCMS Theological Educator in Taiwan. Blessings on your ministry and your difficult work ahead. I know just like with the Israelites, the Lord will go before you and open paths. Thank you so much, brother, for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And dear listeners, thank you, too, for tuning in. Tomorrow, we venture into chapter 24, where Moses heads up again to Mount Sinai, and God confirms his covenant to him once again. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. <laughs>